Hi, this is Wade with Let the Bird Fly. I am here at home with Sophia. Sophia, why don't you go ahead and say hello? Hi. We're here to talk just a little bit before this episode, or Bird's Eye View, or Winging It, about the calendar year-end campaign that 1517 has going on right now. As you likely know, we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network, and we're very thankful for the opportunity to be a part of that and for the platform it's given us and the opportunities to grow and and expand the conversation. Sophia, last we heard about how many downloads a month was the network getting? 100,000. Yeah, 100,000 downloads, and we're very excited about that and to be able to be a part of that. They also now have the 1517 Academy going, which is enrolling new students quite regularly. encourage you to check that out. Sophie, what's some of the other stuff that 1517 does? Um, They do blog posts and... They have blog posts, yep, and your dad writes blog posts for them. I've had a a few, pretty much one a week lately. And uh, what else has dad done with 1517? Um, He's done two books. Two books. Do you remember their names? Um, A Path Student with Sinners. Yeah, that's the last one, A Path Student with Sinners, and then An Uncompromising Gospel. Um, But this... uh, end-of-the-year campaign that they have going really goes a long way towards helping to fund all the uh, resources that 1517 makes available, most of them free of charge. They are hoping to raise $250,000 by December 31st, and if they raise that amount, they will be able to reach uh, not only thousands, but hopefully millions of new people uh, with the free content that they make and with the message of the freedom that we have in the gospel through the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and so your financial support will help uh, 1517 continue its growth and will help podcasts like our own, as well as authors, writers like myself, who are publishing blog posts or books with them. If you're already giving to 1517 uh, on whatever basis, uh, Annual gifts or monthly gifts, they are, I'm sure, very thankful for that, as are we. Um, But just bringing this to your attention as we get towards the end of the year uh, that you might consider it in this time of giving if you're thinking about um, where you might have uh, money well spent uh, for the the sake of getting good content out there for people, uh, something that you might want to consider. So with that being said, we should probably should make our way to our content, which is all about doing what, Sophie? Letting the bird fly. Letting the bird fly. Thank you. Hi, Wade here again with Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Just introducing what you are about to listen to. This bird's eye view is taken from a talk that we were invited to give at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, the seminary of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Uh, by some of the students. We were privileged to be able to be down in the the bottom floor of the dorms and to be able to talk to the students about the podcast, what it is, what the themes are, how we ended up doing it, um, what our interests are, and things of that sort. It was a fun discussion. It was good to be able to talk, and uh, the questions after were, were good as well. Hopefully those come through. All right, we thank Dr. Mark Brown for joining us for this one as we went up to the seminary. Um, Ben was thankfully able to make it as well to join Mike and I. Peter was busy and unable to make it, um, but we will 
be having Peter on again soon, so you can get used to uh, that voice again soon as he has been busy with the new baby and other things, but uh, we're looking forward to getting some recording done hopefully here over Christmas break. With that being said then, we will make our way into this bird's eye view. kind of recording as we go so i apologize if that seems weird but we promised uh peter um the fourth part of the podcast that we would record it in case it ends up being somewhat interesting and he wants to put it out so my name uh, as we mentioned is wade and uh 2004 graduate of wisconsin lutheran seminary uh mike 2005 2000 oh that you were after me that's right uh ben liar who is uh when the podcast started, it was really Ben and I, and then we brought in Peter, convinced him to help us as we started, and then Mike took the call here, and was our number one most yeah, often yeah. guest, but I think Brian Dobler's ahead of you now. Did you just record him again So lately? trying to catch up. He hasn't yeah. done anything since Missyology, but Mark Brown, who some of you may know, um, I don't know who the bookstore manager is now, but I'm guessing they probably have Tale of Two Synods in there, um, and uh, Judge it. Deuteron- Deuteronomy for, no, for well, people's Bible. People's Bible's Deuteronomy. Judges is not done. Time, time between the Testaments also uh-huh. is probably in there. So, well, uh, I I think we were invited up to to talk a little bit about the podcast and the background and what we do and the history of it. And so I thought uh, Mark's been on enough. He'll have some insights and he can jump in when he wants and then we'll kind of walk through. But we, uh, this is the extent of our notes. I'm trying to read them now. But uh, I don't know how you guys, when we, I don't think we ever had these where we had, we had profs talk sometimes. Yeah, sure. But uh, I don't know how you guys normally do stuff, so we'll kind of be. You must not have attended very often. Nah, I, I remember, <laughs> Mike remembers. There was beer um, <laughs> down here. And, uh, but um, as far as the start of the podcast, a couple things we had. Um, so I had served, maybe if we give a little bit of backstory, I had served 10 years um, in the parish in Saginaw, Michigan. Uh, I don't know if there's any MLS grads, but about nine miles from MLS, uh, Christ Lutheran in Shields. For That was my first call out of the ministry. I vicared in Madison at Eastside in Madison and was called to WLC in 2004, or 14, 14, <laughs> graduated here in 2004. And uh, it was probably, I would say, Ben, about two years in that I, we had been messaging, and Ben is a, a member at Nain, the church I belong to, and married to good friend of ours uh sister so tyler peel's sister ashley and we've known each other for quite some long some time uh wlc theology um major and uh about doing something and uh we managed to convince peter hermanson who is uh bethany grad i think originally bethany theology and then all but dissertation for his phd in philosophy and he Which he yet. stubbornly won't finish. Yeah, I, so I tease him about it. Doesn't but. have it quite yet done, but kind of an interest in theology and, and a variety of things. And we um, had started out with the podcast, and I'll give kind of some of the themes that I thought were important for us as we started, and Mike can maybe unpack some from there. And it's been a blessing to do. <coughs> I, I think uh, 
I've been kind of surprised. A, we didn't think anybody would listen, and so we've had some opportunities to go and talk to people that we otherwise wouldn't have and had people reach out. I think just a couple weeks ago we had someone reach out about joining a friend's church. Um, we didn't realize he was thinking about joining one of our friend's churches in, uh, in the Wisconsin Synod, but it kind of heard and, and was interested. And so there's been opportunities like that. But the um, I think the the main thing... Getting to WLC, one of the some of the things that changed for me was I spent ten years as a, a solo pastor of a parish, and so preaching every week. And so I was a preacher, but I wasn't hearing preaching that often. And I think one of the things that changed um, going to WLC, and I'm guessing for Mark um, the the same, and it's probably settling in for Mike now, but um, became a a listener of preaching much more than a preacher, and. Um, there's great things that came with that. So rather than being the one absolving every week, I got to sit there and be absolved, which uh, I dig. I think that's pretty cool um, to be you, able to get that need, every week. You needed that too. Yeah, right? yeah. I had been sinning for 10 years and no one absolved me. And uh, I'd stored up a lot. And uh, um, But one of the, the blessings of being at WLC too is I've had the opportunity to go and teach or um, present at a lot of places, circuits, conferences, stuff like that. And I've... It's nice because, A, for free, I get to see some of the brothers that I went to SEM with, and you get to hang out for free, so how do you beat that? And uh, But also get to meet a lot of other people as well. And so kind of got a, a better feel for the Synod and the, and the brothers out there than I had before. Um, and, and then the other thing is the students at Wisconsin Lutheran College is just a different type of student um, that Martin Luther College is going to have, and not in a bad way, but they're, they're there for a different reason. Um, at MLC, we were all there um, to be pastors or teachers. Um, everybody was Wisconsin Synod. Um, most had, even if they had gone to public school, had some sort of background where church was always very important. Um, otherwise, we probably weren't going to be thinking about going into a profession that, uh, you know, your salary is going to be capped <laughs> um, by Synod code, and and you're you're going to have to move anywhere in the country out of upon graduation. And I mean, these are not easy selling points. I mean, I think I saw a video a while back of the MLC football coach talking about uh, what it's like to try to recruit for football. You know, when you've got all these things going on, and uh, and you know, Mark can t- talk to some of this too. But the the WLC student, um, I'd say we're fifty percent Wells. I guess, yeah, it changes a little bit. And historically, we, it was higher, but well, it was ninety-seven percent when I got there. We had two hundred students. Ninety-seven, did you say? Ninety-seven percent Wells and two hundred students, so we could get those six non-Wells people into a room and talk with them <laughs> if we <laughs> wanted to. And now, well, you can't you can't assume the same kind of uh, understanding or even uh, agreement about some things, and it you you, you find yourself saying certain things somewhat differently not different in content but different in in style oh and i think that helps with the podcast which we should eventually get to the podcast right. is that's what i'm trying to get to <laughs> if yeah, you guys have listened at all mike is the <laughs> taskmaster and uh, <laughs> wade wade likes to uh carry on but a bit in order to talk to a culture that and it's more than just we've always heard okay don't use the word justification actually you should use the word justification because if you explain it it's beautiful and everybody understands it um, in a, a colloquial way and then you just can easily bring that back but you know what I mean that 
there's a certain culture that we have in the church, and it's not just Wisconsin Synod or Lutheran, it's, it's everybody. And so I think Mark especially, but then Wade, and then now me um, come, being uh, the latecomer here, just having to think differently about how you present <coughs> truth, present gospel. You don't assume things. Um, I don't assume um, that uh, my students know what the gospel is. I don't assume... Um, really anything about their um, their background at all. I certainly can't assume that they can put together a sentence. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a different subject. The, the podcast, um, the podcast really then we think um, speaks to that. So how can you take some complex things that maybe we knew academically going through uh, our schooling in the in our system, and then speak to them. Uh, speak to the culture a little bit differently. I think I think Wade's pretty good at that, um, and and just be able to relate law and gospel in very specific things without being too churchy. And I, I think where I was going to get in that connection too is one of the things that stands out to me that's similar to WLC is I had been in the parish I think about two or three years, and I remember having a Bible class where I realized I had just thrown out a bunch of terms. And terms that I took for granted, I know other people know. And I put the, the Bible class on the spot, and we had a decent-sized Bible class, so, you know, 30, 40 people, and said, what does this term mean? What does that term mean? And A, there was an ounce of fear, right, where no one wants to be the one to answer necessarily. But I realized uh, there's a bunch of terms I'm using, and they're nodding because that's what they do when pastor talks, because that's good. And um, but did, do they get the concepts? And so I think that, that there's crossover, um, even for those as you serve in the parish, of what are we taking for granted that our people understand. And then as well, um, our people are, you know, we get maybe one, two, three hours a week as we catechize our people. Um, they're being catechized all week otherwise. How are you able to speak to them as they're being catechized elsewhere? And not always catechized in a bad way. Sometimes we we can fall into, you know, the instruction they're getting in the world is all terrible. Sometimes it's extremely good and helpful. And, um, you know, I, I've had members who could have explained all kinds of important and good things much better than me. But um, but how do you convey that? And so I guess to get at a couple of the, the points just as we early on, and I think especially Ben and I talking early on when we were thinking about getting something started, um, one of the things was as being a listener, I found myself, um, A, going back to my own sermons and going, what did I do to people? <clears throat> um, you know, what what was I giving them? And then, you know, as you, you kind of get around and you're listening to stuff, and this is not a knock on any brothers at all, and it's not just that I have the ability to go to Wells Church, it's I get to, to get around a fair amount to hear preaching in general, and it's something that's just of an interest to me, um, is, uh, you know, how well are people being fed? And at the end of the day, um, something that, that stands out to me is, um, you know, it's easy to say we're about the gospel and the centrality of the gospel and the gospel is important, but are we really gospel driven? Um, and I know the temptations for myself in the parish, it was easy to get in a rut or a streak where you just were dealing with things and you had to deal with things and you wanted them fixed. Um, and it's easy to fall back, bully pulpit, things like this. Um, but are we recognizing, um, I think, you know, if, if Mike and I each have a, a thing that we go to a lot and we tease each other for, um, for me, I think what I 
what's foundational is the bound will. Um, I really think uh, every Lutheran pastor in their first year should read on the bondage of the will and the Heidelberg Disputation. They should have about memorized. Um, and, uh, you know, Luther has the great line in there that free will is a fiction. Um, it's a figment of, of, of imagination. The, the idea that our, our people are in a baptismal struggle, um, that it's that it's not just that they sin because they want to, um, but they... Even after baptism, original sin is something they're wrestling with. So bound will and original sin, and a lot of that goes to my, my grad work was with Flacius, and those of you who are, have had Formula of Conquered by now know Flacius went a little overboard with original sin. I don't think as overboard as we make it sound sometimes. I think Otto probably is really good on that, actually. He, he's teaching that now, right? And my interactions with him, I think he's really, really good on understanding, you know, get, driving home the points of that. Um, but then with the bound will and um, original sin, understanding what our people are wrestling with, um, because I don't have to go to church every Sunday now. There's no one keeping tabs on me. If I missed in the parish, they noticed. <clears throat> right? Um, I, I notice when you're gone. I've yeah, that, and, and, and Ben, uh, ben and, and your dutiful wife will make sure to let me know if I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. If I miss. Yeah, but, um, but you know, it, it's something that... Uh, I'm I'm usually going as a as a hearer, and I don't I guest preach, but I don't guest preach a lot because I find my preaching suffers because I don't know those people. Um, I preach chapel a lot. I know those students. I know that faculty, um, but it's just a different relationship with the people. But I'd say Bunwell and Rizal, and then the other thing that I think um, is important is the idea of Christian freedom, and not Christ. We think Christian freedom, and we think well, we're not pietists. And A, what we usually mean by pietist isn't actually what pietism was. We just mean we can smoke and drink, which we can, right? Go ahead. Um, but um, what I mean is is we're free from um, this kind of sense of wanting to fall back on something that we have to measure up for. When you're out in the parish, that may be, what is your Bible class attendance? You know, One of my favorite convention moments was someone got up on the floor and asked this one pastor why he always had so many people in Bible class. And he got up and said, I don't know. My last church I was at, I had five. You know, now I have 80. I haven't done anything different. Um, but, you know, this this concern, do we measure up? But I think also when it comes to the, the preaching of the law, um, a preaching of the law that ignores Christian freedom in that um, I hear a lot of attainable law. Um, the law preaches things that you can then accomplish and check off your list. And not always necessarily as much law that kills and accuses and hounds you to Christ. Um, and I find myself sometimes walking out and thinking, well, I can do that. Um, and that's not to say you should preach, you know, sanctification failure. You're going to fail, so go sin it up. Um, but that we not become AA with better coffee or, um, you know, Dr. Phil with a cross up front. Um, and that, uh, we recognize that Christian freedom even is freedom from the law itself, not antinomianism, right? But that, um, my relationship with God is through the gospel and now God will work through me. And I think, um, when Mike took the call and we were, um, very happy at WLC to have him come and I would say we're still pretty happy so far last I heard um, 
But uh, maybe if Mike can hit on, I think especially if you want to start with vocation, how that kind of is aligned um, as, you know, when we're going to talk good works in Christian life, a gospel way to talk about it. But Sure, maybe just uh, to piggyback on something you said before, and I'll be short, and then maybe uh, Mark can talk. Um, what was key for me, and then connecting to the podcast too, is when I'm preaching or teaching, that I'm always preaching and teaching to unbelievers, even if it's um, Easter morning service and only the faithful are there because I'm preaching to sinner saints, right? So I'm not going to assume these people have the gospel. They got it figured out. The old Adam showed we up We got that. So now let's move on because I can do great damage to somebody by giving them more law. Either they're going to there's two ways you can go. One way is to be cursed with honesty and realize you haven't kept it or the delusional path, which is you convince yourself that you actually have kept it. And so, um, you have to kill and make alive again. The second thing, and then I'll come to vocation. The second thing is, uh, especially for the podcast and then our students and then the people that you're going to have, not just, uh, out in the world, but your, your people are in your pews too, is you can assume that they're on the same page with you with all the doctrines. And so even though gospel proclamation is exactly that proclamation, we have a problem with that. We preach about the gospel instead of preaching the gospel. Like for you, that's the gospel for you. I forgive you. This is for you instead of an academic exercise of this is what the gospel is. Got it. Okay. But, uh, preaching the gospel versus preaching about the gospel. Um, at the same time, I cannot assume that I can just proclaim something and everybody's going to go, oh, okay. So I have to think maybe more apologetically where I say, am I asserting something that's just a bald face statement without any kind of corroboration, without any kind of something to back it up, right? So, and that's where you can really talk to the culture, but then also to the people in your pews who are of the culture, right? So not just assuming something, but thinking about what is the, what is the old Adam doubter in me doubting about the, this statement that God created the heavens, and the earth in six days or whatever. And can I back that up in a reasonable way? Sometimes you're not going to be able to, sometimes you just have to say it's Christ's body and blood you know, that one's just going to have to go by faith. But um, I don't want to fall into the trap of just beating somebody over with the Bible and say, believe this, just throw it at them and say, believe this. But to be respectful enough of their doubts and their skepticism and to uh, take time to think them, think it through with them. And in my preaching and teaching, maybe make an end round because I already know that there's a student out there or, or maybe even a member who's going to say, mm, I don't know about that. And so maybe thinking and preaching apologetically. Can I jump yep. in real quick? Um, you know, one of the things I, I think uh, it's probably been forgotten now that I preached the foreskin sermon on Monday. I was not going to bring that up, but, uh, but since um, you did, so I, uh, man. Um, but before <laughs> that was, uh, you know, I had mentioned once in chapel and something I tell is my Is that students, online or anything? It Can is you? online now. Because no, yeah. so, you've no, mentioned it now a few on, times. No. So Wade... I want to see it, it is a great line where he said, well, say your line. 
Well, I opened with, do you really think God needs your foreskin? Right, and he was teaching on Galatians. You all know that. I That's wanted fine. to get a knife from the nursing students. <laughs> so this and- was the first time remember, that... Remember, this is a mixed-gender audience <laughs> right. that you have in chapel. This is, this is the first time that Wade didn't immediately uh, post his sermon from WLC on Facebook and our, our webpage. And uh, so I asked him, like, oh, did you put it on put it on the internet, you know, like... Maybe you shouldn't. And uh, <laughs> and you said no, and then two minutes later you had put it on there. <laughs> you, you tempted me. But you um, wouldn't have known what the law was until I had told you what it was. Yeah, and then I was coveting. Um, <laughs> the uh, but one of the things that I've mentioned in in chapel and with students is, you know, we get a WLC student for four years, and I think this applies in the parish too. You get a parishioner for as long as you get a parishioner. You get a catechism student for two years, maybe three years. And I always tell them up front, if if you leave here mad at Christianity, I want you to be mad at actual Christianity. And I want you to be mad at the gospel. Um, If we get you through, and largely what you identify with Christianity is, you know, don't watch porn, don't drink on campus, don't mess up the grass in the quad. By the way, right, I don't encourage any of those things. Um, but, uh, But, you know, basically, well, okay, we've got you through with some well Sharia. Right, you've made through, and here's these laws. If you get through, and you don't understand that all that stuff springs from a, we don't want to get sued, but more importantly, b, we love you because Christ loves you and the gospel. Well, then we've really failed. And I think one of the things that becomes a temptation, um, and maybe we'll save this for later, but with culture stuff and the culture wars, is we can easily get them on campus, and you've got four classes with them you know, in theology, and it can be, we're going to address, when you go out, you're going to hear about abortion and this and that and, you know, gay marriage you pick. And and I'm not saying those things are unimportant. Um, but what gets lost in all that is, so, so that student gets out and they're going to make arguments about that. Well, why in the world do they care? Um, and at the same time, too, what does it matter to them? I mean, are they, is their faith just something that they're enlivened by this this worrying about other people's behavior. And so the idea of, you know, that the gospel needs to be central to whatever time we get with people, um, that, that, and, and that's when, when I would, as I got, was in the parish longer and especially as I'd get distracted and want to get on a bully pulpit, I'd always end up telling myself each Saturday night, I'd pray if, if someone goes home and dies today after that sermon, um, let me send them to heaven well, right? And I and that, I think, is something that, that I mean, goes back to the, the name of the bird fly, but Mark, you want well, to... Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up about uh, how you... how you About foreskins? Or? No, I'm oh. not glad about that. Um, what, what, what did you say there about the person knowing what Christianity is? Yeah. Well, you, you know, I, I, I lived through this process of how WLC had a changing audience in front of it and trying our best to be a well school and yet having a constantly changing student body, uh, we had to learn to kind of drop some of these automatic wells kinds of references that people wouldn't know about. I talked to a student the other day. She's Catholic. She went to, she's from Prairie du Chien. And she, she came to campus to play volleyball during the summer when she was in high school and really liked it. So she came and she's got to take her theology class every year. And she's taken two with me. And she asked about what she should take. And so I said, how'd you end up here? How'd you come here? And she says, she told me the story. And I said, so what'd you know about Lutherans or about the Wells? And she said, nothing. I was here to play volleyball. And one of my teammates said, are you Wells? And I said, what's a Wells? She had no idea. 
and yet we 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 kind of use these things without without realizing how off-putting actually how how courageous some students have to be to stay in spite of all this and 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 stay so how do you talk about christianity to a group i had a class where i had a couple of active pagans in the class one of them gave us a report on paganism i was auditing that one right no you weren't there yet no 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 but you but you know he he takes the very different view of of how the world operates and i and of course you're basically a collection of atoms and that's it and you're gonna that's there is no afterlife um, and I said, so do you ever um, wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and think you might be all wrong about this and maybe there's something more? And he said, yeah, but you probably do too. You wake up and wonder if it is. I mean, you got to be ready for, for more things like that. And so I find myself, this is not a very evangelistic way to do this, but I find myself in world religion saying, I can't believe for you, and you may choose to reject this message, and that's something you have the power to do. But I want you at least to hear from someone who believes it and I think understands it, what Christianity is. I don't want you to learn what Christianity is from Bill Maher and, and what he's going to say or there. Or Ken Ham. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm not so sure about Ken Ham either, but I mean, I, I, I want you to understand this is, it's not just even the gospel itself, it's what the gospel is reacting to. The gospel starts, the message of the gospel starts with this proclamation of how bankrupt we are before God. There are other religious views where we're just fine with God. You know, and you almost have to make them feel bad in order to have them feel good. And that's a big risk to take. You think God is already okay with you the way you are, that he's not an all-just and powerful God? That's a big chance to take. Now, that's a little bit more of a, well, what I would call a Las Vegas view. You know, your better odds are to be a Christian than not. And I sometimes feel, well, that wasn't very gospel-centered. But, I mean, that is how they have to think about this. And um, and I think it's good for our students, and sometimes I'm not so sure how well they do with this, but I think it's good for them to have to be sitting alongside of somebody who is that different, and you know they have conversations outside of class, and they'll probably be more honest outside of class. So uh, I never really thought about how that and the podcast are connected, but they really are. Well, and it, it comes up in ethics. We're really cutting you off, Mike. I apologize, but... Um, I have to finally tell my students, you know, no Homer papers. Do not write what you think the Wells pastor up front wants to hear because some of the, the, the papers I'll get that are least interesting is just where someone's gone through and they think they know what I want to hear. And, and so it's just they're going to regurgitate it. And I'll say to them, now, when you get out in the real world and you have to talk to someone, can you actually explain anything you just put in that paper? Or, you know, they want to write on creation evolution, and but they, they can't summarize an evolutionary position. Well, are you going to actually be able to love and serve your neighbor then when a discussion of it comes up if you can't summarize it? So it needs to be, their paper needs to show if they're disagreeing with something that they can explain what they disagree with. And I think that's something I've learned. And, you know, even before um, Mike had done all the apologetic work that he's done, um, I kind of had, I would still, you know, have my questions, but a lower view of apologetics, well, we have the gospel, what more do you need? But I think there's something too, if we want people to give the gospel a hearing, we need to be able to show that we can understand where they're coming from and why, why, why are they not thinking it's a message that matters or is important to them? And so I, um, if I could go back to seminary, um, I would, you know, one of the things I would 
have tried to do better in addition to almost everything um, is uh, um, to really take advantage of those opportunities to not only study, well, this is what we believe and teach, but to get when when a professor was bringing in the class, this is where someone else is coming from because I think we're able to much better serve in that way when that to, to understand those objections. But that's where you're getting at, Mike, and I cut you off. That's right. Um, so, you know, you kind of <clears throat> already can guess our themes for the podcast. <clears throat> um, things that I think are apropos for today, not that we were totally ignored them in the past, although I think some things we did ignore, and I have theories about them, and not that we're slamming the past. I, I personally think that God gives, gives each generation one big battle, maybe two. Um, I use this analogy when I went into the parish and I, I said, we started thinking about Holy Communion more, like offering it more, like every Sunday. And from there, uh, since Jesus Christ is present there, that's the center of worship. He's coming to me. God's encountering me. That liturgics matters, like how we, th- we have to do something. And if Jesus is really there, that's a different vibe than it is if Jesus is uh, you know, the finite body is up in heaven. We have to reach him, evangelical reformed kind of worship. And so rightfully so a lot of my parishioners would say, hold on. And, uh, because they shouldn't just believe me just because I came in here and I have a degree. Absolutely not. I have to defend what I'm doing. And a lot of them, I could tell and would even say this, um, we did it for X amount of years here. Um, and now you're going to change something. Um, are you telling me that we were wrong in the past? So I had to deal with that. And so will you. Um, and the analogy I use is, is that kind of God gives one or two big battles for each generation. And for a long time, the battle was over the Bible and the battle's not over yet. I'm not saying that, but if our little corner of the world, we won, we won, right? And uh, there's different battles now in a postmodern world. Not that we don't still fight the battle of the Bible. Absolutely, we have to. Um, <clears throat> well, just think about this. None of us are running around putting out uh, Nestorian fires, right? Well, we won that battle a long time ago, and then we recite a creed so we never fall back into that I battle. I had a right? Nestorian the other day. <laughs> yeah. I had. So... Um, he, he was yelling Krista Tokas in the, in the hallway. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were not doing that. There's no way they knew that. Um, in the postmodern world, I think you have to fight for truth, not just biblical um, inerrancy. And not just don't fall into the trap of thinking that postmodernism is relativism. It's not. There's much more to it. Plus, they're not relativists. What they're saying is there may be a truth out there. We just don't have contact to it. And so we must act as if we do not know truth, because when we know truth, then we start fighting over the truth and then people kill each other. So you have to do a battle with that. And that a lot of that has to do with apologetics. I think you have to battle with how do I have value as a person? Where am I going to ground value as a person in a world that thinks that we are a bunch of molecules and is very much struggling right now to ground value in the human being somewhere? How, how do you do that? We don't know. And that's, I think, part of the reason why we're, we're fighting all these culture wars. 
And I think vocation very much helps in, in that regard. Um, we also are, are trying to figure out what freedom is um, coming out of maybe a pietistic past. Um, <clears throat> what does that mean? Um, and I think even, even bigger than that is that we're more acutely aware of suffering in the world and that there's justice and it's not, and it's not, there is such a thing as justice and it's not everywhere. And so if I am to give meaning to the life of, of my people, say your life matters, it has value, here's why, and everything has meaning, then you have to give meaning to suffering. Not specific meaning where you say, you know, God sent this hurricane to wherever because of their sin. I'm not talking about reaching into the will of God, but saying, <clears throat> I'm not always getting better in every way at and every, every day, like Emile Couet, uh, the French poet said, uh, we're not doing very well here. So is all lost or is there meaning to suffering? And then here is where the theology of the cross, a very Lutheran doctrine, the Heidelberg disputation enters in and to grasp with that. Those are the battles that we have right now. And so I would say to my parishioners, uh, kind of explain this and say, we got a new battle here and I want you to be just as uh, proud to be Lutheran and just as fierce a fighter as you were in 1965 for, for these battles here. And I think, I think Wade and I for sure, and Ben and Peter for sure, um, feel like those are things that are applicable to our society. And yet they're very, very ancient and very, very Lutheran. And so they may be new, not necessarily to you guys, but they may be new to a lot of listeners out there, even the people that grew up um, Lutheran or grew up Christian or whatever. And so I think we fi- have found, um, not hidden nerves, not the right way, but we've, we've, we've stumbled across some things that are um, interesting to people in this day and age. Where when I even even Wade and I's time at seminary not that long ago, I don't know that we ever it was learned. pretty long ago now that we well it, they have, have no idea fifteen yeah. I mean you have no idea yeah. how long ago it was <laughs> um, yeah um, was a seminary in Mequon by the time we got here just, it just moved okay, yeah. right. um, but we were I don't know that Missouri. we I don't know that we really took a lot of time in the Heidelberg I don't think we heard about vocation we certainly didn't talk about apologetics and that's not a slam on on our our professors it's just that it, those things were not on the front burner because i i think philosophical eras and and the battles that were laid before the church and so that's what we're kind of all about i think and uh maybe just to finish the vocation thing that i'll be done is the biggest um conundrum that probably you will have in your preaching, I'm willing to bet, is how do I preach law and gospel without falling into the trap of um, only giving the law or then not preaching the third use law faithfully, being not necessarily antinomian, but uh, certainly being accused of antinomian. Um, Wade's been accused of being antinomian, so that's my smirk to him. Um How do I preach sanctification when I know that every time I preach the law, at least some of the hearers are going to hear the first use of the law? 
because the law always accuses even the third usage. It just does, at least to some people in those positions. And how dare I? I mean, that's a frightening thing for me to either confirm somebody's self-righteousness or to add even more despair to the struggling mother who is the saint of all saints, but just is drowning in, in her everyday life. And I think vocation very much helps with that because you see it as a sense of calling. You see it as a sense of God working through you as a mask. It all is grounded from you don't have to waste any energy pleasing God anymore because you can't and you don't have to. And so now my energy is for my neighbor and that there's a gazillion other people in their vocations. And let me say it even clearer. There is Christ in a zillion other vocations serving me and it's going to be all right and the work's going to get done it'll be okay and from there there's a sense of of peace shalom but also a little bit of freedom too and so i i i know you guys get vocation now i'm sure but you just just really nail vocation early on in your ministry because that will be so helpful and you are going to blow the mind and one of the most simplest doctrines ever vocation is not hard it's not predestination it's easy to teach and easy to understand and your prisoners are going to be like that is the wisest thing i have ever heard and it's really going to touch them because it's about their lives that two things just briefly come to mind. So I, was, I teach history of the Reformations, and we're right now going through Calvin, and uh, so we're reading uh, Bruce Gordon's biography of Calvin, which is, is a very good biography. Um, but I was telling the students, oh, um, you know, because I wasn't dressed up today, and say so I'm going to be running around and then going up to the seminary to talk, and they kind of asked about it, and I said, yeah, I should probably have a piece of advice for, uh, you know, people that are going out to be pastors. And we had read about... Um, you maybe probably know about this. I don't know, but when Calvin had first, his first go in Geneva, so Will Farrell, who is um, an early reformer named after perhaps the greatest actor of all time, um, <laughs> and uh, convinces uh, Calvin to go to Geneva. And um, Calvin's not a, a trained pastor, um, but he's going to, he just starts preaching, and so he makes it to Easter. And uh, on Easter, he and Farrell basically excommunicate the, the town. They refuse to give communion because of they disagree about some rules in town. And so the students said, well, that should be your advice. Tell them, don't ex- excommunicate the whole congregation on Easter ever. Um, so that's my bit of wisdom. Um, they were then expelled from Geneva. He makes his way back. But in honors, we read Bondage of the Will. Um, and I, I will say, um, you know, that's uh, I do love where I teach and I love who I teach with. And I really do enjoy the WLC student Um my honor students especially i mean they're reading stuff i should have been reading when i was here if i wasn't too busy with uh you had schwein's last night and you know um beer stube is still open or is that closed now or um or it's a different name i think but uh um we we get at um in in bondage of the will and hitting with vocation as mike is was bringing out that christ is going to work through you as mass for others one of the things we get at for um our people, hopefully, when we get out and we're preaching and teaching, and in our own lives, too, in our ministry, um, we tend to think of predestination and we think of this terrifying thing, but bondage of the will really is a pastoral letter to Erasmus. Luther wants Erasmus to be a Christian. Then this may sound harsh because you may think, well, wasn't Erasmus a Christian? Luther wants Erasmus to go to heaven, <clears throat> right, um, and to believe in Christ as his only Savior, and uh 
Erasmus, you know, gets caught up. Well, if there's no merits, how can there be rewards? Why would God give a command we can't keep? And at the end of the day, one of the points that Luther drives home in Bondage of the Will, and, and this is enough, I usually can get my students pretty terrified the first day I, I wait for someone to bring food to the class. And then I'll, I'll say, well, did God want you to have that bagel? And they'll look real nervous, like, what's the answer to that? And they'll say, well, did you get schmear on it? And sometimes they'll say, well, what schmear, you know, cream cheese, whatever. Well, did God want you to get cream cheese? And Luther talks in there, if God foreknows all things, then nothing's truly contingent. If God foreknows all things, all things must happen that way. Now, we can get, we can forget about that a little bit because Luther says, we're not debating that, and I'd prefer not even to use free choice. But that doesn't mean that God makes you act contrary to your desires. If you get the bagel, you wanted the bagel. It's just God knew you were going to get the bagel too. Um, but Luther says, in things above, right, we talk about God and what he's done for us. And this is truly freeing. And it always amazes me sometimes when I, I listen to evangelicals. And I was talking to Paul Leninger about this today. Um, and they will say, you know, God led me to this job. God's going to send me. I remember in college, one of our buddies had a, um, a sign and it was a poem about how God was going to give him the perfect wife someday. And so we would every day put a post note changing wife to something else to show how ridiculous this was. You know, I, I think the one day we had like nipple, like God's going to give you the perfect nipple or whatever. You know, and we were just we're going through things and trying to get as outrageous as we could to drive home. No, you have a choice in your wife and you should choose wisely. You have a choice in your job and you should choose wisely. But when you listen to evangelicals, what will they say? God led me to this. God, man, God led me to a great dinner today. But then when it comes to their salvation, then they got to decide. Then they're going to talk about their own will. And our people live in an American society, even if it is post-Christian, if we want to use that term, that is still um, Arminian in that way. And, um, And they live under the law then because of that in a way that they don't realize that they're set free from, no, God is working this. And how is he working it? Through the gospel. And so as Mike got to, not when we talk about the gospel, um, you know, there's a story of Herman Sasa and he's in Australia at one of the conferences and someone got up and bragged about preaching. I always preach about the gospel. And he said, well, you shouldn't preach about the gospel. You should preach the gospel. And there's a certain something to just and this is where Let the Bird Fly comes from, right? Um, Luther has a hymn, Luther and Krusiger write it, um, and it's based on the Psalms about the bird has now escaped its nest. And then there's a line from Gerhard Fierde, and I'm not endorsing everything in Gerhard Fierde, but you may have, you may use it here even. I'm being a theologian of the cross by Fierde, but then also theology for proclamation. He talks about first order proclamation. Um, and there's problematic things in Fierde. So uh, there's problematic things in Luther, right? So, um, and, uh, um, but, uh, he talks about, well, well, everything's done, what's left. And he says, well, talking of the spirit, right? You have to let the spirit, let the bird fly. Um, this now frees me. So if the, the whole picture of this is, um, for me, one of my favorite stories in the gospels is Mark chapter five. Jesus comes to this Gentile region to uh, Gennesaret and there's the demoniac there and he lives in the tombs and he cuts himself and he screams out and later they're surprised he's clothed. So he's probably naked most of the time, right? If you have a friend and you say, oh, Joe was wearing pants today, you're probably like your other people would be like, well, does he not wear pants normally? You know, that's a weird observation. And, um, and he goes, and he goes to this town, this Gentile region, and we know it's a Gentile region too. They got a bunch of pigs, right? You're a pretty bad Jew if you're keeping two thousand pigs, and um, the uh, 
you know, the demoniac comes and this is um, one of the first times that Jesus is confessed for who he is in the gospel. And if you read Mark, it's the sinners that keep making these confessions and not just sinners like everybody's a sinner, but public sinners. And he sends them down to the pigs and the pigs go and they drown in the water. And I just think, I mean, if you've ever heard pigs, this is a fantastic scene. Pigs are just, we lived on a pig farm my vicar year in Madison. And, you know, every night it sounded like someone was getting murdered. And I always joke, you know, I was from Detroit, so I was used to it. But my, my wife, you know, had trouble sleeping. And uh, Ben likes making fun of Detroit, so he can use that again later. But, um... What was the last thing you sent me about Detroit? The, you're on oh. your you're on your fourth tangent now in this one yeah, story. But, that's, yeah. but um, but so they anyways end of the story. They asked Jesus to leave. He just ruined the economy, which, by the way, is maybe something Jesus needs to do necessarily sometimes too for our own good. Um, but um, he's the only man sane man in town, and so we get to the end of the count. It is, and they came to see Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the man who had been who had had the legion sitting there uh, in his right mind, clothed in his right mind. And uh, and so he's the only sane man in town. But now he says, Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus, in essence, says, vocation. No, you stay here. Live your life and tell of the wonderful thing that God has done for you. And, and I'll, I'll ask my students when I teach that, what was that, what was the world like for that man? That world was given back to him. And, and now he could enjoy all these things as gift. And what vocation does is it frees me from ruining everything. My spouse is now what's going to not, doesn't have to be what's ultimately going to make me happy. My spouse can just be a fellow sinner who's my spouse. My degree doesn't have to be what's going to make me happy. It can just be a gift of God. My congregation doesn't have to be where I'm going to find my meaning and fulfillment. I'm set, set free from all of that in God, in Christ, and now I can see all those things as gift. And I guarantee you a lot of your counseling you're going to do in the parish is going to be people coming in who have turned gift um, into curse. And and your job is, is going to be um, to do what Luther did with Erasmus. And to but free them nicer. from themselves and their own will, huh? But be nicer. He's being nice, though, kind of. <laughs> it's nice for Luther. Um, but uh, I, I think that's, you know, the idea of letting the bird fly is um, now people can go live in freedom. Are they going to mess up? Sure. But they know where to find forgiveness for that, right? They, they have a hope. Um, but they can also then dare to serve. They, they can dare to be bold in Christ for others. Um, you can dare to love your congregation, and if if you don't get everything, doesn't happen the way you think. If no one shows up to VB, can I say don't do VBS? Uh, you know, I, it's just babysitting. But um, maybe no one shows up, and then the good news is you can get rid of it. Um, but you know, but but maybe everything doesn't go the way you think. Well, God is still working; He's at work, and and He's in work in a way that a you can't stop it even if you wanted to, but b He said I want to do it through you. And, and that, um, the early episodes that goes to, so we want to have people who have other vocations on. So we have Kerry Keene, an ask, a physicist, and ask him when the devil hit the dinosaur bones. And we get um, Christy Meyer, a mathematician, and, um, to, to understand that people are now set free to have their vocations imbued with Christian meaning. Um, and so you can be a Christian physicist and you don't do some top secret type of physics that Jesus lets you in on, but you're a physicist who's now going to serve your neighbor through that. The Christian nurse is going to nurse, she's going to use the same equipment, but is able to do so out of love for God um, and lo- 
and recognizing God doesn't need her work, but the neighbor does. But Ben's got, he's actually going to talk, so I'm going to let him talk. <laughs> when, as the least educated member of the podcast, um, I came on largely to help him. You know, Wade had some <clears throat> questions about the technical nuts and bolts and what it would take to get a podcast up and running. But being a part of this has been very helpful for to me because I've learned a lot just sitting in, even listening to the episodes that I'm not a part of. Um, and, and one thing that's been really helpful to me is, um, for me, uh, this new idea of thinking about sanctification um, in terms living out your sanctification in terms of vocation. Um, I don't think it was ever on purpose, but you know, I grew up Lutheran my whole life, and I, you always heard about sanctification kind of as personal piety. So as you grow in sanctification, you'll get better at, you know, curbing these sins in your own life and refining your life as a Christian. And I just had never really thought about your sanctification also being how God uses you um, in the world through your vocation, sometimes through very ordinary and plain things to to serve fellow Christians. Um and we talked a little bit about the reformed and stuff, and I, I think you get a you you can get a little bit of that focus about making it on yourself to you know refine and purify your life as as part of sanctification and miss out on that God's using you um, to go out into the world through what you do, um, and that's been something I've been grateful for being introduced to that idea, I guess, or at least made more clear to me. Yeah, and the, there's still a spiritual battle. There's still. Um um, mortification of the flesh. There's mm-hmm. still a death and resurrection. And as Gustav Wingard would say, uh, channeling Luther, that happens in vocation, right? And, and probably not when you're even thinking about it, right? It just happened um, because you were so lost in the craft of whatever your vocation would be. And I, I use the word craft there as like, the craft of a carpenter or something like that. You get lost in this beautiful um, job that you have and, and, and you're just doing it because it's in front of you and you want to do it well and you want to serve your neighbor, even if you're not thinking, oh, I'm serving my neighbor here. Um, when you do that, um, naturally you're dying to yourself and rising to, rising to love other people. And sometimes it's hard to do that. And uh, you don't always have to stop and think, okay, now I'm doing this for the glory of God. Okay, now I am curbing my sinful nature. Okay, now I've taken the next step to uh, my sanctified life. Um, it, it, it's when you're always going up to the, um, the side of the uh, door and marking yourself, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, and so it's not vocations, not the the silver bullet necessarily you still have to be talking about law gospel and the different uses and being careful uh not to being careful to divide law and gospel the the correct way as as we've been we've been taught um but vocation really 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 helps the preacher along the way to do that my my four-year-old daughter has been marking her height on the door like every day lately do i need to <laughs> have a talk with her though, right? This is, I, th- I thought it was okay, but. <laughs> Until she stops growing and then it's, you know, she's going to fall into despair. Okay. Or yeah. she's going to constantly say to her younger two sisters, <laughs> I'm like, I'm taller than you. I'm taller than you. 
Maybe yeah. a, be careful. I'll look out for that. Maybe we can get questions in a second. I just Mike brought something to mind, and I, it's been extremely helpful to me. Um, something that I think you brought out through your doctoral work, but um, that dispelling the notion that my sanctification is for me, my sanctification is for my neighbor. Right, God has saved me. I am justified. I am wholly sanctified in that. But where does my sanctification, my Christian life, now express itself? In my life for my neighbor. And if you listen to evangelicals talk about sanctification, you hear a very selfish sanctification. And Mike was hitting on this somewhat. It's navel gazing. It, yeah, if it becomes just me keeping points, you know, I get three sanctification points for this and four for that. Um, really, my sanctification is God working through me for my neighbor. And so Luther has a great line with Erasmus in Bondage of the Will, and he says, you know, Erasmus is all worried about um, refining himself and fixing himself up, and he says, don't worry, God will take care of it. Um, God in your vocations, God in in your parish will lay crosses upon you to Im- to make it abundantly clear where you need him and, and where you can uh, perhaps work better for your neighbor, right? It, it It's going to come up. It's, it's kind of, and this is not to pick on some, well, it is, but, um, you know, um, I myself would sometimes have fallen into in the ministry of what are the five things you're going to do for God this week? And there's a place for being intentional in vocation, don't get me wrong, but sometimes too it's okay to say, I bet God will bring something my way. Like maybe if there were a verse in the Bible that said we were his workmanship for whom he's prepared in advance things for us to do, we could trust that maybe they'll find us too. Um, and, and so that point that, that Mike has made often with me, that's I think been helpful for me, just my sanctification is not selfish. It's outward focus. The same as my salvation is Christ is extranos. Now he turns me outside of myself to see it's, my neighbor. It's never sanctification for the sake of sanctification. Mm-hmm. And maybe just one point, and then I'm going to ask Mark a question. Um, uh, we talk about sanctification, you know, and that's just lost on the world. It's lost on most of our students, unless you painfully explain it every class period. Um, one way, it's not the same exact thing, but one way where you can talk about this is self-esteem and value. Where do I find self-esteem and value? <laughs> As a, as a human being. And um, if you're always trying to please daddy, whether it's your uh, earthly father or your boss or your heavenly father, it's a dead end. It's a dead end and it's a miserable existence and that you have. you've got a pretty bad father if you're right. hoping to you earn You do not have a good father. Um, and so to, to speak in the, that, that father-child relationship, we could go on hours for that and how helpful that is and how... I think freeing it is for people, and this is what we mean by let the bird fly. But but Mark is, uh, I, I don't think it's just because you want to be around us young guys, but you like being on the podcast. And so I, we've never asked you, like, what is your attraction to uh, these four idiots <laughs> talking nonsense? Well, you know, uh, I, I had some more time to listen, sort of binge on on some of the podcasts when I had my leg broken in the summer and couldn't do much. And um, it struck me, I remember when I was first in the parish, um, I was in Michigan, and the Michigan camaraderie is very strong. And one of my teachers, the grade school teacher, said, you know, I really envy you guys for this, this fraternity you have among pastors. It seems like no matter what generation you've had this very common experience, we don't seem to have this. Now, I don't know if the te- I, I don't know if he was right about teachers, but I think as I sat and listened 
binging this summer listening to the pieces, what struck me was in one sense that is really true, no matter what generation you came through, you have some of these common experiences. But in another sense, I really feel the generational divide and some of the things that I just haven't thought about that you guys think about differently. And I think in terms of the mechanics of the podcast and doing podcasts, um, I, I grew up at a time where you want to listen to the one expert. You know, he's going to be up in front. Sig Becker is going to be up in front, and he's going to know this stuff. And so it seems as though on the podcast we, we meander around a lot. And especially in the, in the free-for-all, I sometimes would sit there and think, do you really think anybody cares about... And about we get what the kind most of, emails about, about the what kind of yeah. why you're going to buy a truck. You know, I listened to the one where you're trying to pick out a different microbrewery for every Lutheran synod, and I thought, are you serious? And then last night I was listening, and there's some talk, sports guys talking about the NFL, and they compared every NFL team to a particular candy bar and who was the Heath bar. And I thought, I'm the one who's out of it here. You know, I'm not. I, I, I think so, the ELS was Keystone, if I remember. We, see, I, we got some emails from the ELS about, about, but Wells was Natty Light or we were beast. See, that's remember. it. He's, yeah. he's so excited about this. He's back to doing yeah. it again. I, I, I don't know. Um, so it's the, it's the informality of it, the lack of structure, which is its strength. But I think people want to learn more by listening in than they used to. The one guy, and it was always a guy, talking to you on television has given way to eight people sitting around the table, and they interrupt each other, and they talk over the top of each other, and that sort of drives me nuts. <laughs> but that's what more people like. So I'm coming, trying to learn from you in terms of, of style. But I'd, I'd also say you're all talking about the parish and uh, what's it going to be like preaching in the parish? Teaching? I am so far removed from the parish, I can hardly remember. I've been out 32 years since I was in the parish. And no matter, I mean, I still go to church, and I, I belong to a church, and I visit churches, and I help out in churches. But my center is really in this college life, in the atmosphere that is there. And I think what's been hard for me, it's been a growing process to learn, is that in the parish, I was always in charge. I was a junior pastor with 1,700 members, and then I was a pastor by myself with 1,100 members. And you're always seeing your own members. You didn't have much time to see other people, and you're always thinking from where they were at. And it was either the people agreed with you and they were yours, or else it was those people who believed that and you're on the outside. At the college and in the podcast, too, I think what you have to do is be with people who you know don't disagree with you. And you can't talk about evangelicals in abstract because there sits an evangelical right in front of you. And I had the whole talk about why people become Pentecostal to a very committed Pentecostal sitting in front of me. And I thought, well, she's going to be my, if I pardon my expression, she's going to be the crap detector here to see whether I'm really being fair or not. And so it was hard for me to adapt to how do I maintain ongoing relationships with people that on the one hand, are not coming my way, but on the other hand, I still have a friendship with. I don't know that, that our expectations equipped us to do that. They were either one of us or they were out of fellowship. And we had to. And then we talk about all the ways we had to demonstrate how we were not in fellowship with them. If you stand up to pray, I won't stand up with you. But now, you know, I'm not going to maybe ever convince the Catholic, you know, or, or, or I don't think I convinced my pagan at all. I could maybe only hope to make him scared. But I think we have to do that in a world that's increasingly less like us. And I, I think with that, 
one of the things that struck me more and more is if we really are, if we've been gifted with this confession, we think we have the good confession, and I think we do, right? Um, then we need to be confident enough with it to go with it. And, and I think not just to go with it to the unchurched, but there's a lot of people out there who really dig Lutheranism, but they don't know what to call it. Mm-hmm. This law gospel thing, I mean, we've met Episcopalians who, you know, they've just fallen in love with this law gospel thing. Now, there's plenty we don't agree on, but if, they, if they're interested in the law gospel thing, I think that's a, a good move because as Paul says to the Philippians, right? Oh, so they want to preach Christ's law gospel? Let, then, then that's good. And I think, um, you know, there, there is interest in that. And, and we've found, even with listeners' contact we get, um, from non-Lutherans who maybe they can't quite put their finger on what exactly it is that they found interesting, and sometimes it is the free-for-all. We Animal Fights <laughs> is our most popular episode wow. still. I, we we um, joke because uh, Mike just it just kills him inside to watch these, these stupid. But a, a serious point to Dr. Brown's uh, comment. I when we were getting started, you know, Wade had some. Uh, Wade's pretty good at at being willing to put himself out there, but he also had some concerns, you know. You know, but people, you know, who might have a podcast or people going to want to listen. And that's just not how the Internet works anymore. If you don't like a Twitter account, you don't follow it. If you don't like a podcast, you don't listen to it. Um, you choose what you want to read. There's tons of content out there. So in that regard, too, I think, you know, doing a podcast is kind of different because you're not nobody's standing up here trying to presume to be the expert and preach to these listeners. It's, hey, if you think this is interesting while you're driving put it on if you don't like it don't listen to it i mean it's up to you yeah and it's amazing how many different people do listen from even across the world and it's just crazy to us but i think two things one is that we're talking about freedom and gospel and law and vocation stuff that everybody thinks about even though they don't have the terminology for it Um, what's my purpose in life um, what about freedom? Those identity, kinds of things. Identity. Which I mean is the contact point for you guys yeah. with evangelism. And then um, I, I think what's also refreshing is maybe to, to circle back to where we were talking about before is that um, what Christianity is out there, and this is our fault as a Christian church, and the, I mean the whole Christian church, what we've put out there, what the message has been. Um, is easily distorted or it's just false what we're putting out there and people have a view of christianity that just isn't right and so we were in the in the academic world at wlc i i will finally say like listen listen if you're not christian okay but here this is what it is and just in an academic exercise you ought to know exactly what it is and that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is to say if you're going to if you're going to actually have an opinion about Jesus Christ specifically, but also Christianity, at least, at least know the facts. And so we want people to, we want to kind of dispel those myths about Christianity being about laws or being a right wing conspiracy or being, you, get you know, Scott Walker bumper sticker, at what, your baptism. you know, whatever, all that kind of stuff and say, there's actually something there's something really engaging going on here, and I don't like the Pascal wager kind of Pascal's wager kind of thing. 
But when you, you got some serious problems, if you think we're just a bunch of molecules put together, like about free will, about love, about a lot of different things. And Christianity has, I think, a pretty good answer to a lot of these. I'm just talking about somebody who is a skeptic, not, not a believer here. Um, and say, you know what, there's, there's quite a few, this is a robust worldview. And um, so that's, I think, what, what is not, not just the strength of our podcast, because I don't think this is a super strength of our podcast, but a lot, of, a, lot, yeah, a lot of good a lot of good podcasts that are out there that they talk about history and they talk about philosophy and they talk about movies and they talk about literature and they talk about all these things from a Christian worldview without beating people over the head and saying, here's this movie that in 1955, uh, the Christian parent or the Christian pastor, if he was going to say anything about it was going to be, don't go to that. Where now we're saying, do you see the depravity of mankind that even Hollywood puts their finger on? Now here's the here's the solution in in a Christ who got down in the mud and the blood and the beer with us. That kind of cultural engagement I think is where podcasts are really good. And and before you talk, Trevor Sutton, the guy you like, yeah, he is just came out of the book clearly Christian, I think. And his whole point is to say, here's what the culture thinks Christianity is. And well, yeah, and a lot that. of it is our fault if Christianity is viewed as simply a power block that. You know that somehow George uh, uh, Donald Trump has you know grabbed eighty percent of. How can you understand that? I guess the question I have about podcasting is: Do you worry about saying things that are really wrong? I know you don't too much. Um, there, there's but, a reason. You know, I, I think you know you always have the disclaimer yes, at the beginning, exactly. and we say this may not even be what 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 we think. You know. And we have, that's probably the most organized outline I've seen so far of what we're going to talk about. So we know we have a topic, but it's kind of a free-for-all. I had this deathly fear of being wrong when I was here. And, you know, especially in senior classes, dogmatics and stuff, we're all wanting to be loyal and say the right things and don't say this because that's wrong. Don't say that because that is doesn't work. And that that's really a free-for-all. We're trying to put our... our, our trying to find words for these ideas and they don't always come out right or what it, it, maybe we're getting there as we go along so i mean does that bother you do you get do you get some loyalist writing you to saying what in the world were you thinking i mean i worry about wade quite a bit what he's going to say um but i think uh the <laughs> throw thinking, enough mud on the yeah, wall some will the, stick the right? thinking fellows <laughs> the thinking fellows podcast probably some of you have listened to that i, I think their whole point was uh, kind of C.S. Lewis, the Inklings kind of thing. Um, how fantastic it is to sit, be, to eavesdrop on a conversation with people, having a drink at the end of the day, and how fantastic that is for uh, me still being a young man. If I would go to a cocktail party with like Dr. Brown and maybe you know some other people that we know, that just to sit and listen and and not not think okay i'm not going to take this is not what mark would have was going to write in a paper that's going to be presented at the seminary it's the first draft I'm just, yeah. yeah i'm just i'm just listening into a conversation and i think um our conversations are a little more lowball than other podcasts but um just that you would listen into our low brow con- low brow, low brow and yeah. low ball too sometimes but uh just that you can I think people understand that they're that this is not a systematic 
um, way of thinking about doctrine that we're just kind of talking about things. Um, but yeah, I mean, we do, we, we, as Professor Deutschlander would say, everything you say, imagine that there's a uh, hundred arrows pointing at you. <laughs> I mean, that's still there, of course, but, um, well, I'm not a pastor, yeah, so, so I don't Pete care. Can, yeah, I Pete can say whatever care. I want. Peter too. Peter doesn't care and Ben doesn't care, but uh, I get that. But I, I think that the, the podcast scene, if I can say, say that antiquated word, um, is, uh, you're just eavesdropping on a conversation. And that can be very helpful, especially to the laity who haven't not, but, but with that back of our mind that we do have, we have children listening, <laughs> we should be careful. Well, and I, I think maybe just, we should close out, see if there's questions. Because I, I know people have stuff, a lot of studying and fasting and praying to do. Especially on Thursday uh, nights. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, <laughs> but, um, Thursday was always a big study night, as yeah. I recall. <laughs> you know, one of the things when we, when we first started was I, was it Peter that wanted us to stick to 40 minutes or was that you? And we were going to be disciplined. And um, one of the things that I've found that I really enjoy is podcasts that are more long form. And, and so we have been more long form. And I think that even the rationale with the free for all is sometimes you get people who, if you just jumped into the main topic, wouldn't a maybe be comfortable with that. Maybe they feel they're over their head or B you got to kind of earn their trust before you work into something that might challenge them. And so I think hearing us argue about if a bee is better than a wasp, um, you know, or something stupid like that. Um, Mike, Mike amount, still thinks it's stupid just for the record, but we get a lot of people who would listen that otherwise wouldn't, but I don't Do we see if there's questions or are we going to yep, sure. Is there any questions? Otherwise we'll be here to hang out a bit, but sure. Sure. <laughs> His Earlier, blessedness. You guys were talking about, um, you know, if someone comes up to you and basically, you know, says they're an atheist or whatever, and they tell you all these things that they think is wrong, and you say, well, you know, we just talked about this in evangelism class a couple, I think last week or two weeks ago. It's, I'm going to ask you to start over for yeah, our yeah, podcast. Yeah. There, you go, there you go. All right. Dr. Reverend Brown, pastor over here. How about Mark? And, and or Mark. Okay, so uh, evangelism class a couple weeks ago, we talked about you know if someone you know you're you're trying to preach the gospel to somebody who doesn't know anything technically, or maybe they think they know a lot and they don't, you know. And you mentioned a great point where it's like you know, well, tell me what you think you know, and then let me tell you what what's true, and then after I tell you what's true, then I'll tell you, then you can decide if you want to hate it or not. But let me at least tell you the gospel, you know. And I think that's a great point to make. You know, people come up all the time and they think they know a lot about maybe something they don't know a lot about. Yeah. And we yeah. want to make sure they do know what the truth is. Yeah. And then you can say, okay, now now hate it if you want, you know, but let me tell you what you want to hate first. <laughs> well, I think, I think first of all, you think about preaching. I think one of the really basic rules of public speaking that most pastors break too much is you start from the, from the known and lead to the unknown. That first couple of sentences, the first paragraph and a half, has to be a kind of experience that almost everybody can understand and relate to. If you start with the unknown, you never grab them. On the other hand, if you start with the known and stay with the known, you bore them. And 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 there is really the rule of three here. You give, you know, and, and every good joke is structured this way. You 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 pull the hook, you set the hook, and then you you make the point. And when I hear these preachers having nine illustrations in their in their introduction, they've lost them already. So even with an evangelism, you've got to be talking to people out of a sense of things they think about. And no matter how 
good you feel about yourself during the day. You wake up at three in the morning and you, you worry about what you said or, you know, whatever. And, um, but I think, I, I think when you, when you have a, a more of a back and forth conversation, you have to grant that you can understand how they would feel that way. I mean, I, I said in chapel a couple times ago, I said, didn't you ever feel that this is really unfair because, you know, you think it had been easier just never being, having been born. You're set on this course where either you're going to spend eternity with God or cut off from him. Why can't life be simpler than this? Why can't we just be a collection of atoms and we're just going to live here and then we're gone? But we have no choice about this. It doesn't even help to say, I wish I'd never been born. It's too late for that. I think you have to confront people with the inescapable dilemma that that they have. I, I, I remember... Um, a woman at the doctor's office asked me what I did, and I told her that I teach this, and she says, you know, I'm really kind of partial to Buddhism lately. Uh, I think Buddhism is, you know, really affirming, and it's peace-loving and all this. And I said, yeah, but it doesn't. What does it say to the sin problem? And she started laughing like I didn't wasn't trying to be funny, but she thought that was sort of humorous. I says, no, really. I says, what does that say to the sin problem? If that's If that's, you're going to take the chance that that's not the problem. And you can take the chance that perhaps it's it's more like Hinduism, where you're already you know part of God, and you just got to find that. But if sin is actually the problem, you can't just treat religion like like a cafeteria and take whichever one works because it's not going to get you there. I think you have to try. And 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 this is this is tentative language. I haven't got this all figured out, but. Um, students who don't come from where you've come from will make you think about this. How do I, how do I say this? How do you get this? And maybe you, you even come back sometimes and say, I, I, I thought about this since the other day, and maybe I would say it this way now. So it's, it's more of a risk. But I think you're going to be talking to more people every day than like that than, than I did when I was first out of school. I mean, every... It was shut-ins, and it was funerals, and it was our own members. And, and parishioners that are more willing to ask those questions or challenge things just because the pastor's not the most educated t- guy in town anymore, and they're used to having access to experts you know, at their fingertips on the computer. Um, I think we're going to have people—and it's a good thing that people are willing to come with the stuff they wouldn't have come with before. But, I mean, I think we overestimate our own— parishioners oftentimes and where they're at they can get all the content and they can often get better content online than we can ever give them i think what we bring is what do you think of this you know how do you take this what's your story on this because that's really ours you know so so you guys recently joined the 1517 network of podcasts what kind of uh benefits and challenges has that brought sure i had um I've had two books published with, uh, Mike, you're figuring out how to give stuff away. I've got some of them there. Two books published with 1517. I bet you they'd rather like the t-shirt. Yeah. No, when the t-shirts are gone. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, so I had already known pretty well the the people out there. And 1517 isn't affiliated with any church body, but it's mostly made up of Lutherans. Um, and then as their authors, they would encourage us to write stuff. So I'll have blog posts now that will often come out. And the the nice thing that 1517 as a network was able for us to bring um, was uh, an audience that we, <laughs> yeah, and uh, an audience that maybe we, we wouldn't have reached otherwise as far as people being, um, I, I think especially um, 
non-Wells or even non-Missouri Synod Lutherans. Um, and Caleb, who we work with there, has been great. Um, from the start, it's been very much understood of, um, you know, we've got our thing, we had started our thing, we're doing our thing. And uh, there might be things, if things come up and it's not something we're comfortable with, or um, then that's cool, then, you know, we'll, we'll move on to the next thing. Um, but uh, it's it's been nice to have people who otherwise wouldn't have maybe found us on their radar that have found us and it's led to some good conversations with people um, who as I mentioned earlier maybe don't realize they're interested in Lutheranism they don't know to call it that um, but but they found something that is addressing something they've been wrestling with or thinking about so that's been um, the ben- it's I mean it's very loose what um, with the tech side if we ever need help they're able to help with that um, Ben and Peter have really figured out and um, kind of got things going well with that for the most part. But um, especially to to be to be able to talk to some people we maybe wouldn't otherwise be able to. Um, Mike, I don't know, Mike, if you have thoughts on that, but um, you know, they really have a history with Rod Rosenblatt in Southern California, release with the White Horse Inn, and which would he did with. Uh, Various co-hosts, but Michael Horton from He's Westminster Se- uh, Seminary, Seminary, yeah, Seminary, um, uh, really trying to deal with evangelicals who have been burned out. And then there's a line there with uh, John Warwick Montgomery, with some of you have been um, uh, familiar with, um, and so that's kind of they're all kind of connected there with Concordia Irvine, and there's kind of a history there that has had some Wisconsin ELS ties, not officially or anything like that, but people who have gone in and out of their their circle of influence, let's just say mm-hmm. that. And so I, I think Wade and I both kind of knew about these people and what they were doing. Well, and doing. the apologetic work that Mike has done has been with Montgomery at Strasbourg. Right, and, and so there's there's a connection there. Um, there. There is kind of a line of this this person studied under this person who studied under this person. And so, and New Reformation Press was there for a while. And yep. so you... you it was just on our radar as a good confessional Lutheran pastor. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing here. Um, I, I like the point that you made that this is just kind of like listening into a conversation and how you're spreading the gospel doing that. And just kind of like one thing I think uh, is a challenge for Christianity today, just uh, kind of in our church and in Christianity in general is just uh, uh like Christians doing like their one hour duty of like going to church and then going back home and just say that that's good enough for this week. And that's my duty to God. But, uh, I really like, like the podcasts and like, just, you get to listen to, into a conversation. Like you're hearing Christianity just from guys, uh, talking just a conversation. It's not a preacher in a pulpit and he's being super dogmatic. This is what you believe. And then just accepting, like accepting that. And then, going back home uh my, my question to you is there any way that you can like churches can help like being more like uh podcast like like more a little more open or conversational in that way i one of the the things i wish i would have done more of in the parish um and i think the congregations are set up to be able to do is um i think for the pastor but also to train lay people but to just be present in the community um to be familiar enough with people that people are willing to come for conversations with stuff like that. And I, I think um, Mark kind of got at 
a little bit where Christian and, and Mike too have, has kind of found itself. And I really, the nineties was not a good decade for Christianity in my view. And I, I love the nineties. Don't get me wrong. It had the best music. See, right? I was just going to say it wasn't a great decade. Not for music, even but, close. Oh, it, <laughs> it had the, it had the best rock, the best rap, everything. Uh, we had the government accomplishing nothing, Republican house, Democrat president. Um, and you know, that's always attractive to me. Um, and, uh, but Christian coalition, moral majority, you know, this monolithic, reformed oriented kind of church society admixture of stuff. And in, in many ways, I think that fed this narrative that for people today, um, they don't know what it, what to expect to have to run into a pastor or to even run into a committed Christian who's willing to talk about it. Are they going to feel like they're in the principal's office? Is this Christian just going to launch into all the stuff that this person's doing wrong in their life? Um, it, uh, and so I think um, as we're more comfortable just kind of being with people um, and, and being okay with sometimes they're going to say the wrong thing. You know, you go for a hospital visit and then often some somebody sees you in the elevator and, and you wear what you want to wear in the parish. I'm not saying that, but let's say I was wearing my collar and, you know, they say, oh, father or whatever else. They don't know the difference, right? But they are in a bad spot right now and they want to talk. And, um, and as I'm listening to them, maybe there's like eight theological points that aren't great. You know, my grandma became an angel. No, angels are that, you know. Um, but, um, <laughs> but to be willing to listen and let that be out there just for the opportunity to then be able right to earn the right to talk some but also to be maybe next time something happens they remember there was that guy who they can maybe talk to a lot of this happened with me with coaching i found i would be coaching a lot in the community and then parents who maybe marriage is falling apart whatever else and several times i you know um so all of a sudden somebody's on my porch and i was the only christiany kind of you know, maybe antinomian, I don't know, but um, a pastorish type thing. And and it was, that was the closest they knew to somewhere to go at that time. And, um, and to be okay with, you know, people are going to have the wrong take on some stuff. They're going to be really confused. Um, and maybe it's going to be a process of, of getting there with people. Um, the, the temptation is, um, really, to want to, as Mark kind of said, get them in line, to get it where it's safe, and now we're all, and to realize it's going to take a while. Um, this is going to happen more and more with couples living together. You're going to have very sincere couples, very interested in Christianity. They're living together in sin. It's not even on their radar that it's wrong. Are you going to lead with the Sixth Commandment? Are you going to insist by week three, if you're going to keep meeting that now they're living with grandma and grandpa, or, you know, whatever... How do you navigate? I don't know that there's a pastoral right or wrong. That's why there's some profs, right? Um, <laughs> it, uh, um, but it's not as it was in the past where we could kind of, you had culture on your side, societal pressure on your side. Um, you know, I think to to be known as someone who's willing to listen and, and sometimes you're just waiting for your moment, right? It, and, uh, and so I think um, that can be... Uh, something that and I think to be advertising stuff in the we're going to be talking about this and um, to have someone who's able to t come talk about this or to become the person who can talk about that and maybe it's not directly all theological but it's a, a big picture thought thing that um, that people can be interested in and to see um, for people to realize there is intellectual life in the church as well um, 
you know, it uh, that it, the church isn't this backwards, doesn't doesn't think things through. As Mike said, that we have a robust worldview. One of the people I found myself appreciated, and not because he was the best Lutheran, <clears throat> um, but is uh, Kierkegaard, because Kierkegaard. One of my favorite things about Kierkegaard is right. He's got issue with the state church, so he's really digging at that. <laughs> and then he's dying, and his brother's a state church pastor, or whatever else in Denmark. And so they come; they're going to bring him communion. And uh, and I mean, Kierkegaard was a believer, and he. Um, but uh, he says, "Why would I want communion from a bureaucrat?" Right. And but what Kierkegaard does is not necessarily that his solution is always the best, you know, this leap of faith, whatever. But he really diagnoses his culture, and he gets that the church had become about people being comfortable, and Christianity had in many ways just become Danish culture with a T on it. Um, and I think being able to offer stuff as well that isn't attacking, but is able to get people to start to question um, th things that they know are there to pick a scab a bit. <clears throat> and then I also flip side, I would say with our own people, we need to increasingly get our own people to realize where their culture and Christianity are conflated. Um, and this gets culture war, but are you done? All yeah. Right. So I'd, I'd echo the being in the community job, number one, just, you know, and, and then uh, I would also, um, if you knew how many opportunities we had wearing the collar for evangelism, you'd, you'd wear it. I'm not saying you have to, but it's really a huge it's deal. Don't do it the first day. Now, um, but to your point, uh, what we did at our parish is we would have, for a while, we did a monthly gathering like cheese wine at our at our at our home. Open up the parsonage, especially if you actually have a parsonage. Just fantastic that whole idea of a Lutheran parsonage, and have people just sit there. And I would give them things to read, like blogs, to read beforehand. And if they read it or they didn't, didn't matter. And we just talked, whatever it was. Totally could be culturally, could be political, could be although you got to be careful there. Could be something doctrinal, and just have a conversation with them. And then they could see it being done in a casual manner. And we often have people that would bring friends and, and stuff like that. That's, I think that's what you're kind of getting at. And uh, the first time I did it, we, we had to kick people out at 3 in the morning. It really did work. So um, I mean, when you open it up, when you go to an event where a pastor's there and there's a glass of wine or a beer all of a sudden you will be the center of attention because everybody's got these questions. They've been just waiting to ask someone. So I think I baptized five or six people out of um, church basketball. We were playing basketball in the gym. That was back when I uh, didn't look like this. <laughs> and uh, um, But I these guys would come, they play ball, a lot of the guys from the city, and they didn't know a pastor from anything. And, um, and then a couple of the guys from church said, oh, you should offer it you know, like catechism or something before or after started doing that. And, uh, I mean, people ended up on church council, you know, it, but it, it was, was only, a natural thing. It, it was only forced. up six or seven months yeah. when they realized, Hey, that kind of fattish guy who, uh, cause I was fattish then I'm full, <laughs> full blown, but, um, that, uh, that fouls a lot. That's the pastor. Did you know that? <laughs> um, but Boy, uh, he swears a lot. That's yeah. Nice. We better see if there's questions. One more, one more question. How about that? Here we go. Or maybe we can do two. I got two more t-shirts. We've been talking a lot about the doctrine of vocation, and as someone at seminary, I really appreciate Luther, but I have a really hard time reading him sometimes, and I think our members especially, whether it be a stigma or just the difficulty maybe with understanding him, um, might not necessarily be drawn to reading him. So do you have other resources or things that maybe that like more millennial, younger people might be interested in reading? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you Just Gene Edward Veith, uh, God at Work is where you're going to want to start. 
um, when you as a pastor want to get a little bit more Gustav Wingren, uh, Luther on vocation. Feith has got a couple different books. Quite frankly, there's not a whole lot out there, which is actually all right, because then it's, uh, you know, not, not daunting. Um, and so uh, God at Work is where you want to start. And then uh, there's, there's, there's a couple other resources there. Um, as for the Luther comment, I just thought about this week that um, Luther was very difficult for me to read. Like, and I know it's not just because he's German. Like, just say something clear. You know what I mean? Like, can you just say a sentence that is not four long, four lines long? And can you just like listening to Wade? You know, I'm like, just like, where have you? Where? Did, how did you get to that point? Luther now, eventually gets to the point. Yes, he does. <laughs> I'll tell you now, Luther's a delight to read. It just, it took me a while. Um, maybe it was reading more of him. Maybe it was just a more um, mature theological mind. I don't know what it is, but now he's a delight. So just keep at it. And I think part of it too is, you know, part of the the cross for pastors is, um, is you put your nose to the ground and you're going to have to read some of the stuff and then your people don't even know they're getting it. That's the great thing, right? You're giving them stuff they don't even know where it's com- coming from or what they're getting. And so I think, uh, but I also think it, it depends where you start with, with Luther. Um, I mean, there's things of Luther that are very difficult or not the most exciting and you're like, why is he talking about monks? Um, you know, and, and he doesn't really, he never, cause he's not a systematic theologian. He's an occasional theologian to the occasion. You don't, there's no place where you go, Oh, that's Luther on vocation. It's just all over the place, which is right. frustrating. And yet at the same time, um, when you start thinking vocation, you start thinking Heidelberg disputation, you start thinking two, two, um, two kinds of righteousness, two kingdoms, and then read him. Then you go, that's where they were talking about vocation. That's where he was talking about that. Can I just and give a quick I'm homer? sorry, go ahead. I want to give a quick homer recommendation. I would just read all the Deutschlander I could get to, but I, I was a Deutschlander student, and um, Deutschlander was a, the, the, the single best professor I've ever had, and I, I'm confident he doesn't listen to this because he doesn't want to hear Johnston, so he won't, uh, <laughs> he won't give me a hard time. But um, uh, one of the blessings of him retiring has been that he's writing, and I, I found Deutschlander in class and then his books as a great opening of the door into concepts that I wanted to get into more than so theology of the cross, hidden God. Um, Deutschlander is doing a lot of stuff in his writings that um, we maybe don't realize he's doing, right? And he's getting into a lot of concepts that are really cool concepts that he only got to because you can tell he was doing a lot of a lot of digging and and i i think with the congregation too to find resources like that that are accessible to start the questions and then if if someone never gets to luther they never get to luther um but there are great little and i'm happy to share sometime if people want to email but there's great i mean read the preface to galatians it's gold read his sermon on the um the afternoon of christmas um, one of his best sermons is the Sermon on the Circumcision of Our Lord. Maybe that's just the foreskin theme still, but um, the first I time... I detect a pattern, yeah, yeah. the first time Christ sheds blood for you, right? Um, and so I think there's there's fun stuff to start with. We tend to want to jump in the deep end, and understandably then we get lost, but I think we had one more question. Yeah, um, this is more of a, just kind of a podcast question about other podcasts. Are there other good, interesting, fun podcasts that are not Lutheran, so say Reformed or uh, Catholic, um, Pentecostal, that where it's interesting to listen to and you kind of get a sense of um, 
their perspective where they um you know uh you know approach scripture when you get out the of the lutheran orb it gets a little harder for me i will say um now this is so coming from the episcopalian world and there's going to be plenty that um is not on board with you know things that we so um but as far as for the stuff they do with the culture um something that can be kind of fun if you can if you're going to do it obviously discerningly um uh which i always feel stupid having to say to seminarians or pastors be discerning like we say we have the best worker training system in the world if you can't handle that we did something wrong well it's just it's just another disclaimer that's all right so i'm just trying (laughs) not to get in trouble um ben knows me but um mockingbird stuff and mocking cast um ember.com yeah like dave zoll's little book on law and gospel is fantastic um but uh um they'll have some interesting topics culture wise i mean if i can just say some a Lutheran one, um, just to throw it out there, is I would say probably the most on point, and they can keep it to 45 minutes, and theological as far as covering a topic or a person, um, I would say uh, um, is the Thinking Fellows. If you want non-Christian, um, one of the ga- my gaps in learning, and the great irony is I now am teaching in the philosophy department as well as theology, um, is philosophy. Um, but one that I really enjoy for getting a grasp of philosophy and there's sometimes language, right? So, and I know some of you have never heard that. Um, but uh, um, the Partially Examined Life um, is a group of guys who who did grad study for philosophy but now don't do it professionally. But, um, you know, if you want to understand, hear them discuss a Nietzsche or a um, Rawls or Kierkegaard, I think that's something that is pretty fun and accessible. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, I'll be honest, I... I just have a hard time getting into anything like classic reformed. Like, so if we mean reform, like Calvinist, Zwinglian, I just find that depressing. Like, I I don't think in systems, and I'm not like a presuppositionalist type guy. I, I, Mike isn't either with apologetics, so I'm, I'm nothing's coming to mind like strict reform. But White Horse Inn would be the one that Horton is reformed. Any anything Michael Horton yeah. has written is worthwhile reading. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, the one I listen to every week would be um, Thinking Fellows. And that part of that is because they've, they've really got now to where they're rotating. They'll do something from church history, something apologetics, um, something's doctrine. And uh, I don't, when we were live recording out there, they brought us out there and we were live recording. And everybody had to be 40 minutes. And so us, and then if, uh, if any of you are familiar with the Virgin in the Wasteland um, podcast, I was on that when I was out in California the one time. And, they make us look disciplined, like on topic. But like the one I knew was going to be fine was thinking fellows. They're going to do their 40 minutes. And I was just terrified for us. But um, I, I think, and, and that's one too, I've pointed students to as well. If they have an interest in a specific topic, it's really tends to be on topic. My favorite non-religious uh, is just stuff you should know. I don't know if anybody listens to that, but um, that really is sometimes I've gotten a lot of illustrations I can use with people from that. So Mike, did you have any? Ben, you have any? No. <laughs> Mark, you got anything? Otherwise, well, we I, I'm old. I read. I, I I can't study with music and stuff on anything that requires concentration. Another it's good. Gen- your office is next to mine. Gener- generational difference there. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike likes his office next to mine because he gets to hear Counting Crows. Yeah, I hate Counting Crows, and I let him have it for it. Which uh, which is why I like to play Counting Crows. That's right. 
90s. Um, back when you could have uh, dreadlocks without it being cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we better stop there. We can hang out a bit. So. All right, thank you, and Whenever let the bird fly. The sun goes down, get my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a tank. I set them up. Another round, I'll set them up. Another round, I'll set them up. Another round, one more round won't get me down. Came home last night, all full of lush. My babe began to fuss, and I said, Honey, honey, I don't care. People are thinking, I'm not drunk, I'm just drinking. I said, I'm up, another round. I said, I'm up, another round. I said, I'm up, another round. Thank you.